We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. And welcome, finally, to the Ganymede and Titan retrospective for Series 12. Uh, I'm Ian Symes, and joining me today are John Hoare. Hello. Tanya Jones. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. The reason that we've waited uh, this long to do the Series 12 retrospective is that we were waiting for all five of us uh, to be in a room at the same time, but uh, realistically, four out of five is the best you're going to get. So let's just crack on with it. Um, We're going to go through each episode uh, sort of one by one from the perspective of it now being quite an old (laughs) series, (laughs) it it not being being brand new anymore, and sort of discussing what has occurred to us from re-watching it recently. Because uh, we've all rewatched the whole lot in the last week or so. Yes, we? indeed. Yes. In fact, confession time. Um, Danny and I neglected to do that in advance, and so we ended up binge watching the entire series last night. Um, which was actually quite an interesting thing to do because I've I haven't watched Red Dwarf like that for so long. But yeah. that used to be the default way of watching Red Dwarf. Yeah. It always used to be rather than what episode do I fancy watching, it was what series shall I watch in its entirety on VHS. Mm. Uh, all through being a child um, and so it was interesting to see how Red Dwarf, New Red Dwarf stacked up um, and I think it, it goes quite well Series 12 uh, in that respect but let's not get ahead of ourselves let's talk about each episode in turn and so Cured uh, what are our general thoughts on Cured after over two years I, I remember watching this being recorded and I remember at the time thinking that's an interesting premise for an episode. Um, not a hundred percent convinced that it was executed absolutely brilliantly. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I do think it hangs together okay. Um, but I I suspect that were it not for the guest performance. Uh, of Hitler in, in particular um, it would be a lot less entertaining did you say the guest performance of Hitler <laughs> <laughs> he's been a guest before I, I can't mean, remember, them, I can't remember the actor's name Ryan Gage Bear with me. Thank, Ryan thank you, Ryan Gage's performance um, is, is the standout uh, yeah, Ryan Gage clearly the best thing about the episode I think it's fair to fun. say uh, every scene that he's in um he just gives so much. I mean, it's probably <laughs> it's it's probably not the first portrayal of Hitler or a Nazi to go down that route of just making him slightly camp and completely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but it works uh, because of the the thing of it's it's Hitler, but <laughs> but not as we know him. <laughs> it's it's Hitler having had his evil removed. Yeah, uh, and also Hitler was always slightly camp. Yeah. There, there, there is all, I mean, there was a very strong camp running through the Nazis, ironically. Um, which, all those uniforms. Well, yeah. that, that's part of I think that's the whole, the whole thing, isn't it? That you can see it in her flicking a lower low as well. There's very, very sort of, very sadomasochistic elements. And yeah, that's, I, I, yes, I don't think that Ryan's performance is a million miles away from the man himself. 
<laughs> and, and, yeah, and also not a million miles away from a lower low, and no. I like a lower low, and so mm. that's a plus point for me. Yes, it, yes. Exactly. I'm, I'm kind of the same. I, I'm not particularly enamoured with the beginning, and I'm not particularly enamoured with the end. But I Those are two completely different episodes. <laughs> 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 now I suppose you think you're clever, <laughs> um, but yeah, I but I enjoy the middle bit, um, which taps into the recurring thread that everyone's bored with, which is I seem to like Red Dwarf when it isn't being Red Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a, is a common thing in series twelve that it does things that are just a bit out there. And I think yeah, you're right. I think watching it back, the opening five or ten minutes dragged a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's quite a slow start. Um, it serves quite well as the opening episode of a series, I think, because it, it's got that, that sort of Starbug startup sequence um, that works as a kind of reintroduction to the characters and the situation, the kind of world they live in. I think that's le- I think that would be better if the visual effects were of a standard that we came to expect in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> But but are seemingly beyond us in twenty nineteen. Um. Yes, actually, I was Tw- going twenty seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> um. That that was a. Bit, I mentioned it when we rewatched the episode. It's a bit frustrating, um, because the set's all there and they set up a particular universe and they don't really follow it through. Yes. Um. So the report on whether someone's a psychopath or not, um, is dragged out of a hole in the set by Crichton, isn't it? Mm. A, bit, a bit of paper. And oh, it's not the first time they use bits of paper. And it's one of those things where you look at it and think, you know, I'm sure they would have come up with something better than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't know what that might be. In <clears throat> It's, you know, debatable. But uh, again, I think... Yeah, we could talk about that in other episodes, but the allocation of resources is, is uneven. Mm. The premise of the episode, once it gets going, of um, the people, the evil people, having been recreated in some way. I think it's a slight issue that there's a lot of talking to get to the explanation this of is, what the situation is. I was going to yeah. mention that. So it's the whole thing about the, the psychopath explanation is kind of interesting, but then there's the whole reason as to why Hitler is there, and then they have this whole discussion about mitochondrial DNA and this kind of stuff. It's like, it just feels like as if this is the re- these are the reasons I found to get this to work. It's very wordy. Yeah, it, it, it feels it's... also like he's he's read John Ronson and got excited. <laughs> yeah. It is. I think it is Doug showing his working. I think it's like, from what we can tell, um, from kind of things that Doug tweets uh, while he's in the middle of writing and stuff. He does. He gets his inspiration from reading <coughs> up on on real science concepts and, mm. and stuff. And sometimes it gets to the point where he's he's showing his working in the dialogue, um, which. As mixed results, really. I'm not. I'm not saying it's always a bad thing. No. Um, Cured would perhaps benefit a bit more from getting to the nub of the matter because, but the, there's a good solid ten minute chunk in the middle um, from sort of the dinner party onwards um, where it's just really solid and really funny, mm. um, largely thanks to Ryan Gage. Yeah. Uh, oh no, it is mine. Yes. Listen, listen, and Hitler jamming is funny i think it's it's potentially one of those things where people will roll their eyes at red dwarf doing that kind of joke uh where it's a bit broad and a big funny set piece but i just it makes me laugh 
I can't tell whether it would be funnier or less funny if it was um, Africa by Toto. I think funnier. <laughs> I've, I've got in my head that it's funnier. It's, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out why I think that. I think, because think. It's, I think because it's such a quite a soft song. Mm. I think it'd be quite funny to have him be quite like gentle with the guitar and singing really nicely about it. And then him and Lister kind of really belting out for the chorus. I think that would be working quite well, but yeah. Um, that that's how it feels to me anyway. But yeah, the whole sort of rambunctious of the, the, the There is more of a contrast, isn't there? Yeah. With Hitler. There's more of a contrast with, with in Toto. Yeah. <laughs> um one thing that really um uh irritated me on the rewatch was when we get to the poor fate of our four dwarfers. Mm. Um well actually a question before I complain about it. Mm. So Crichton's head on a spike yep. is kind of Vlad the Impaler. Yep. Yep. Were the other punishments related to the other evils or I not? To, I was trying to work this out as well. Because I couldn't figure out a link. Now, What's the water got to do with either Stalin or Messalina? Now, the problem you have um, is if you start thinking about the punishments Hitler could be linked to, you could go down extraordinarily bad taste yes. very, oh. very quickly. So you don't want to do that. I think maybe 10 years ago I'd be arguing you should. <laughs> now I most definitely am not. But the thing is then, well, what do you do? What is the punishment that Hitler would be connected to? Uh, and I suppose what I'm ultimately getting at is, what are they doing with Rimmer there? Yeah. Well, from a, a story point of view, it would it would perhaps be neater because there are four evils and there were four uh, dwarfers so it, w- it would be a neat thing to have each of them linked like that but from a story point of view what it actually is is Professor Telford framing the others yes and so the way he frames Hitler is by uh, putting his lighter in there mm. uh, oh nobody but it is mine <laughs> um, yeah that's better and <laughs> he frames Vlad the Impaler by impaling Crichton and so Perhaps it only needs those two from a, you know, if you think about it logically, for them to conclude that the evils have gone evil. It would be a nice, neat kind of bit of mirroring and symmetry, wouldn't it, if you... Maybe Mes- Lister's one was castration. Maybe that's something to do with Messalina. I'm what sure. is it with Doug Naylor and castration? The man's got a problem. Like, at a certain point in your life, surely you have to get over your fear of castration. I got over it quite a long time ago. I'm not sure By Doug ever castrated. has. Well, yes. Yeah. But I'm not sure Doug ever had. I find it odd. He's obsessed with genitals being blown up or chopped In off. In fairness, it was Rob Grant that introduced the gonad electrocution kits <laughs> to the Red Dwarf Cannon. I, I think it's a shared, uh, <laughs> a shared distraction. <laughs> the problem I had with that sequence, apart from the fact that I think it would have been nice if potentially problematic if everything had been linked, is, oh my God, those rescues are too fast. This is it. I, I had that on my notes. Basically, it was way too... It was dealt with way too quickly. There's yeah. no peril. There's no threat. Yeah. It's way too fast. And you don't even see Lister escaping properly. No, you no, see, him, you no. see him get the knife out of his boot and start to cut the rope, but he's still got a laser travelling to him very yeah. quickly, and you don't see that resolve. And you could yeah. have used the time at the beginning of the episode where we're plodding along in that sequence where it would have been really quite useful. And like, how is how is Crichton getting impaled in any way a problem? <laughs> 
how is that mm. thing? Do you know what I mean? It's like how mm. is how is that like? Oh, that's the worst thing that could happen to that thing. It's like not really. No. Like it's just you just took his head off. He's yeah. a mechanoid. Put it back it does it all the time. <laughs> There's three of them in a cupboard. <laughs> it's just it's a strange, almost very tenuous way to get it to work. Although to be fair, the headless thing with Lister trying to get Crown to go in a certain direction is just quite funny. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, and I think it is funny. I think it's a funny episode, which is um, the minimum that it should be, really, <laughs> as, as a sitcom. Uh, but I think that's fair. And I always, I always try and and point out as a way of kind of setting out our stool that um, nitpicking, for want of a better word, about about elements like that, um, is not necessarily to detract from the episode. It's all part of the fun of discussing it, and it's not necessarily a criticism, uh, except where it is. <laughs> um, how do people feel about the big reveal about the true nature of of the evils and Professor Telford? Oh, it just takes away everything. <laughs> um, well, it does because there, it's nothing about the the evil. The, the, the whole plot is the whole thing about it. it's Hitler, it's Stalin, it's thingy. That all this is like built around the fact that these people are um, it's meant to be these cured people, and yet it's not even that. Yeah, so it's, it's all it's, a big. It's all a big. So you do. Uh, I think yeah. Basically. There, there is, there is a danger that you reach the end of the episode and go, oh, okay. Well, why were we talking about that then? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. You could argue it, it, it. What it's doing is it's saying um, evil is where you least expect it. Mm. If we want to be charitable. Yeah, I mean. Or be be wary. Evil can come from everywhere. Yes, even all... even the guy in the wheelchair. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they all assumed that um, it was an assumption on their part that Professor Telford was not evil because when they found the cryopods, all it said on his was Professor Telford, mm-hmm. um, and they tried. They said, "Oh, let's let's open this one. This guy must be the professor." But you can have evil professors. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like it, it's perhaps convenient from an audience perspective that all the evil people are people from the twentieth century or before, but. Um, you know, from the from the crew's perspective, there could be the you know the twenty fifth century equivalent of Hitler could be a man called Professor Telford for all they know. Mm. Again, I don't feel we got enough discussion. I think we might feel a bit better about that if there had been more at that point. But instead, we get into that kind of extended end sequence with the cat. Is he changing sides? Is he not changing sides? And I kind of wish I'd rather had more dialogue about the nature of evil mm. and jokes about that. Than this whole thing with, uh, I didn't. I'm trying to figure out why I didn't particularly enjoy that sequence, but I really didn't. And I don't enjoy the poker face reveal either. It really falls flat with me. Um, I don't quite know why because I'm usually very very keen on linking expected unexpected bits together. Mm. Um, and actually, the episode does that really well um, with another section. Oh yeah, it does that really well. With the uh, Starbug, where you think that they're just doing the stupid gag at the beginning with how you la- um, they land Starbug, which I don't particularly enjoy that bit, but I enjoy the bit later on where that suddenly becomes part of the plot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, Telford was unable to escape because of that. Which is really good. So I wish I enjoyed the bit about the cat's poker face more than I do, and it troubles me, and I don't know what it is. Is it Danny's performance? I can't figure it out. I I do like that bit. Um, 
and I think what it is for me is that it, it's a very rare example of this is probably the closest thing we've got, even including can, can of worms, to a cat centric episode. Even the, which seems like a weird thing to say because it is an ensemble piece all the way through, and if anyone, Lister is more prominent than anyone else for the, for the majority of it. But um, it's very rare that Cat ends up having a decisive role in how an episode is resolved, yeah. and it is about the episode is about the nature of evil and specifically psychopaths. And it is established, and it makes sense that Cat is a psychopath, yeah. because every it's it's another one of those jokes that um, that works because of the audience expectations. When Crichton starts to describe at some point the characteristics of psychopaths, you know that is actually it, all of this applies to the cat, and so having that be included as as a way of wrapping up the plot. And to give Cat a role in it, I think is, uh, I think is good, and I think it makes perfect sense for the character. But what is slightly uncomfortable about it is Cat just shooting a man in the face and then make, <laughs> and then making a quip about it. <laughs> well, he does it in Angels and Demons. No one does anything. No one mentioned anything about that either. Well, that is not a real person. I, s- I suppose there is the self-preservation thing at that point. That yeah, he has clearly shown that he will kill. Telford is a will kill them. Yeah. Yes, I don't think it's uh it's a huge huge issue. I th- I think it's actually not as bad as Rimmer pushing Katerina in front of a car <laughs> even though Katerina turned out to be an hallucination. Uh because yeah, it it was self-preservation but there is just I feel that ideally there would be a bit of time appended to explore the the sort of maybe you don't want this in a sitcom but to sort of acknowledge the repercussions of the fact that he's just shot someone in the face and killed them. I, I think I I think that might be one reason why I'm not as keen on the end. I think that I like Red Dwarf when Cat is a little more incidental. Mm. I don't know how much I enjoy him when he's driving the plot as much as he is in that episode. And I... You're right, it does make sense. There's nothing I can nail down to uh, to say why I don't enjoy it. This is exactly the same thing as I was saying in Dwarfcast 15 years ago, except I did it in a high-pitched voice <laughs> and then insisted I was right. And now I'm doing it in a calmer voice, but it's the same fucking thing. <laughs> um, I just, I, I, just yeah. I didn't find the ending particularly effective, and I just... And once I don't know he once he starts going between, between them all I don't know my my brain switched off I don't know what it is I wish I could come up I with think, something because um, this might be rose well be edited yeah, out me, if I can't me, figure it out well for me there seemed to be a lack of pace in it and I couldn't I couldn't quite feel the the danger yeah. and, and the tension yeah that's true and that's and that's a bit of, that's kind of again that happens again earlier in the episode as well mm. there's just no tension mm. it's just it's just like oh look there's a problem oh, they'll, they'll, they'll it. it is a recurring within like literally two minutes it's all like the, 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 the issue and the problem and the resolution is waiting past it, it is we keep going back to yeah. pacing issues don't we and, it, and sort of the proportion of each episode that is spent on each mm. element of the plot um, seems a little unbalanced and I don't think it's as bad as some of the more extreme examples where you know in, in Trojan the the common criticism of that is you know, it takes about eighteen minutes before Howard turns up, and and Howard's brilliant, and so why don't we get more of him? 
and that that kind of applies to to the various sections of Cure. Like the first bit goes on too long, it gets good in the middle, and there's not quite enough of that, and there's definitely not enough room in the ending to to have a proper third act. It all seems to happen in the space of three or four minutes. There is yeah. a recurring thing. It's become a cliche that we we bring up all the time now. Uh, and we should try to clean ourselves a little better. But the lack of jeopardy in Dave Era a Dwarf mm. is, I find, slightly baffling because I can't think of the reason why it isn't there. Uh, it's Because it's clearly intended to be there. There's yeah. clearly stuff on the page that is intended. It, uh, but it never quite seems to come across as anything particularly um, to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is irritating. I think that's probably why it falls flat with me because I'm kind of just treading water to the end there because I know we're not really they're not really in any serious danger. But it is nice to as you say to give cat some character stuff and you're right it does completely fit in. The psychopath stuff works. It doesn't work with me emotionally but logically certainly yeah. it's <laughs> it's a it's a sensible point to bring. You can't fault it on that ground. No no no. I've watched Cure twice recently, once with Tanya, where actually I enjoyed it far better, and once by myself. And I have to say, it put me in a really terrible mood. But the thing is, it's and like, I, I couldn't... It was... I don't know how... As an idea, it would work well as a series opener, but actually how it's done, it's, as you say, it's so languid at the start. I do think... I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I do agree that changing the nature of, of what they are, re- that reveal that they're just robots and it's all part of Professor Telford's scheme does does detract from the overall quality of the episode, I think, because it's just one of those things that it's it's a rug pull. Yeah. Um, and if it's... Well, it's not a clever rug pull. Yeah, it? If, it, if it's well done, then you can applaud that and go, ah, I thought I, I thought I was getting one thing, and in fact, I've got yeah. something else. But actually, in this, it's just oh well, that's a shame because I I liked the idea that they that they resurrected. The I problem think, I is wonder... it's all it's all associated with them just trudging off the screen. That's the last you see of the best elements of the episode. Yeah, that's the problem. And, and even then, there's only two. There's only there's only Hitler. That's like there's the 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 the, the, the thing with Messalina and the cat. There's that conversation, and then like Stalin. We don't see do enough of Stalin. Not we do not see it. enough of Stalin. You could do all kinds of jokes. You said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's all kinds of jokes about rewriting history you could do with Stalin that he could have tackled. But and... again, it's not, uh, that, and, and then it turns out it's not even Stalin, so it, would, it, it feels like it'd be wasted effort. So. <laughs> it's um, it's a simple. It's a concept that it, it's a very complicated explanation as well. It sort of takes a while to to convey it all and that's not as interesting as what the original concept was i wonder what what you would do then if you were rewriting that climax so you weren't actually revealing that they were well i think part of the reason why it's there is possibly to mitigate any possible offense and i think this is a, a similar thing to lemons um i was going to bring that I up was, I've gone back and forth over the years of how I feel about the reveal in Lemons that it's not actually our, G- our Jesus. <laughs> our Lord. Our Lord. <laughs> ah, who's Arnold? <laughs> it's not actually the Jesus. Um, 
it, I, I wonder how, uh, with both of those examples, how much of it is to say, look, it's okay, Lister didn't actually jam with Hitler, and it, it wasn't actually Jesus's cock that Rimmer was touching. Um, how much of that is to is to sort of justify uh, the amusing imagery that that gives us, yeah. and, and and taking away any potential offence. Um, we're back to my Uncle Frank discussion, aren't we, with that as well? The reveal that um, Uncle Frank got the wrong room. And I always <laughs> said, wouldn't it be funnier if just Uncle Frank was a paedophile? <laughs> um, which is, <laughs> I'm not quite as vehement about that these days for some reason. <laughs> but it is a bit of a shame in the end um, that it ki- it kind of undermines what came before is that in retrospect, it's not as funny for Lister to be jamming with a robot that looks like Hitler as it is for him to be jamming with actual Hitler. True. Um, but, you know, it, Hitler was a bad person, so, yeah. in my opinion. I, th- I think just we, putting can, it out there. we can all we can all agree with Well, you that. see, that's an interesting thing. So, yeah, if you didn't have that reveal, then the question is, if you're writing an episode... How do you write it? Do you write it as these people are genuinely rehabilitated, mm. or which has its problems, or do you write it that they aren't rehabilitated, which has different problems but still has problems? Yeah, it's like how do you write yourself out of that scenario without having the rug pull? Yeah, the way that we are led to believe that it's going um, is that it turns out that they are evil after all, and and Hitler is buried uh, him alive and, and Vlad the Impaler is impaled great and yeah. it may it, <laughs> it makes you think that basically those historical characters are have hoodwinked our crew and therefore us as the audience um, and I think that that would probably have done and then they get defeated in whatever way it just it's just it's the same as you know if it was anyone that you know the, the crew had taken on board and, and thought were good people and turned out to be bad people Except it's Hitler and Stalin, which I would argue is a funny, <laughs> it, it is a good, amusing, dwarfy situation to be in. Uh, but in the end, it's it's just Professor Telford. <coughs> All right. So I wonder whether the uh, scene where Cat is switching sides would have been a lot more interesting if he'd been switching sides between the dwarfers and the evils and Hitler, rather than between yeah. the crew and Professor Telford. Overall, though, I do like Cured. I think there there is obviously there's negative points about it as we discussed there's pacing issues and whatnot but I think it is a I do I think there's more good about it than bad uh, on the sort of the balance of things on the scale I'm on the good side of it as I think Danny is as well mm. and and as is typical for G and T I think <laughs> <laughs> both both John and Tanya are kind of on, slightly on the opposite side of the scale I think we're actually on the equally if you're kind of slightly to the left on the good side yeah. we're equally on the right on the bad side so actually I think that's technically the wrong way around but you get my point <laughs> yes <laughs> we're equidistant yeah from from neutral <laughs> unlike I very much suspect with Siliconia <laughs> yes <laughs> which I rewatched recently and I have to say is possibly one of the most miserable experiences I've ever had <laughs> watching it do you know you know recently we were talking about how um I've stopped being so extreme in my reactions to Red Dwarf. Well, Silicone. <laughs> um, oh, God, I hated it. I really, really didn't like it at all. What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Um, there's a lot of reasons, but it can be summed up with the fact that they drum the MILF thing into the fucking ground over and over and over, and yet they literally don't tell you the resolution to the plot unless you're looking at the, well, not model shot, the CDR shot of the upgrade station. And mm. I didn't see that shot originally. And someone had to point it out to me. And I was looking out for it this time, and I watched it, and it's like, I'm not surprised I fucking didn't see it. You can't throw away your conclusion of the episode based on a small bit of text in the effect sequence. So, yeah, just to, to explain it. Yes, please do. Um, no, no, explain what we're talking about is that the... No, I know, please do. The, the, the plot of it is that they are looking for this mythical place called Siliconia, and we don't know what it is or if it's real, and then they find it, and it's all it is is a diva droid upgrade station. Um, that uh, convert that when they reach it, they all get upgrades. Yeah. Um, but you only kind of find that out if you look at what's written on the side of the space station. There's nothing in the dialogue that really says what that is. Yeah. Although I, d- I do d- might disagree to some extent that it, I, d- I think it is fairly clear because there is references in the dialogue to we're all being upgraded. Um, and Crichton says upgrade refused so that he's not affected and he can then lead the escape. Um, yes, I'd argue that's thrown away a bit. Yes. Um, and I suppose part of the problem, I think, again, with the pacing of Siliconia is that you have this fairly pointless gladiator-style clean-off that doesn't seem to serve any purpose whatsoever. Yeah. My my overall reaction to the episode when I rewatched it uh, yesterday was more positive than I thought it would be mm-hmm. uh, because I'd had it in my head... Uh, for the last year and a half that I didn't really <laughs> like Siliconia that much uh, but I did remember that upon first watching it I that there were bits that I liked and I think I like most of it I think it just loses its way I think for me I really enjoy the um, the the crew being Crichtonified the way that that is the way that that plays out where slowly but surely they it's not an instantly they turn into Crichton. Initially, they're themselves in a mechanoid body, and then slowly but surely, the mechanoidness takes over, yeah. and it affects the three of them in different ways. And Rimmer goes first. It makes complete sense on a character level. Uh, it does make sense that Rimmer, uh, as previously es- established, that uh, when if you take away the pressure on Rimmer to be an officer and to and to follow that career path that he's put on himself, if you take that away from him and just let him get on with doing a menial task, that's where he finds his happiness. That all makes sense to me. And I like where it's going, but then in the last five minutes or so, it completely falls apart. And as soon as the they just introduce out of nowhere this gladiatorial clean-off thing, it, I just switch off. It's yeah. just boring. Yeah. Uh, and, and expensively it boring as well, <laughs> which is the worst kind of boring. It comes out of nowhere. It's not clear really what's going on a lot of the time. Uh, all the stuff that's being that happens prior to that just kind of gets erased and ignored. And whether that's the character stuff about Lister persuading Crichton that he is part of the crew and that he's not a slave and that you know undoing the brainwashing that's happened to him mm-hmm. just stops dead because Lister gets the 
you know gets the switch and becomes a pure mechanoid but also elements like which i hadn't really noticed before uh lister gets his hand chopped off at, at one point and that's supposed to be a thing presumably that they've chopped lister's hand off but yeah. then that that's resolved you just it cuts to him screwing a new hand on and well, what was the point of that i thing? still don't get that bit no it also it, it again the inconsistency of oh break your finger and then yeah. he does it, and that hurts him, and yet cutting his hand off, no thing. Yeah. And actually, it's, just, that... it's, it's very, very inconsistent. That, that's the thing that really bugs me about a lot. This is done for the sake of a joke or the sake of a thing. Just... That that thing with the, the breaking a finger has always troubled me, because whenever I think of that, I just think of Christ with his eye dangling out at the start <laughs> of Terraform. Yeah. Um, I do not believe mechanoids feel pain. We've never been told at any point... The mechanoids feel pain, no. and all of a sudden, I don't. If you're being generous, you could suggest. I'm not. That... <laughs> I'm not being generous. Oh, I, I, I think I know what you're about to say. That it's because he's not yet been fully. His brain hasn't been fully converted into mechanoid. He's okay. still reacting as he would. Okay, I can, I can, I can. If that, that was that, his that can, that can actual yeah. fleshy finger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing but I that, was. It is a stretch. The thing I was most disappointed by, though, is that I knew I disliked the ending. And I knew I disliked the MILF stuff. But the bit I was expecting to like was, as you've just talked about, um, uh, the reaction to Rimmer. Uh, Rimmer had mm. to being Crichtonified. And I love the idea. And I think it makes total sense mm. on a character level. All that is great. This time round, I found his speech really quite awkward. Mm. And I didn't last time, or I don't feel like I remember that I I don't I can't remember everything I said about the show but I didn't remember feeling that sequence was quite awkward but this time around maybe it was my mood maybe whatever but I found it kind of came out the blue I don't know it wasn't led into particularly nicely mm. I didn't particularly enjoy the dialogue I enjoyed what the dialogue was trying to say but it felt a little forced in its delivery Maybe that the thing you said about it coming out of the blue. Maybe it the the an issue with it is that your the time is split between two separate groups of Crichton with the milfs and then the three other guys on their own. Mm -hmm. We don't really spend enough time exploring either, perhaps, and so naturally there's there's shortcuts there every now and then. It might have been. I don't, I don't know how to fix that because you like the last thing we need in Red Dwarf is things being longer <laughs> than they are as proved by series 8 uh, and the various multi-part stories over the years that have never worked certainly it wouldn't have supported a, a two-parter it may well have supported a 40 minute story as mm. I think we've said there are times. occasions where just a little bit more running time would be an advantage perhaps um, uh, but yeah the on both levels I think we don't really see too much of Crichton changing his mind about the crew like he's yeah. in that um the therapy session which i think is a good scene and it's funny and the main uh i can't remember any of the mechanoid names because they've all got funny names <laughs> uh but the the counselor guy there that's a very funny performance i think but in that scene Crichton's resisting it and it's only right at the end where he's, he's he has a slight moan about one or two things yeah and then the next time we see him he's fully converted yeah uh it feels like we're missing something there there's a lot of dots that are not joined that mm. i feel on that scene by the way um, because I think it's the comedy standout scene of the episode that scene and I do find it funny I have to be honest and I know this is unpleasant it may not even be fair the 
retrospective knowledge that the person who wrote that scene wrote Time Wave <laughs> has made me view that scene ever so slightly differently. I find it a little uncomfortable now. It is a little too close to a rape survivors meeting, which I think is the intention. Well, I <laughs> it's that it's of that ilk. Yeah, I I doubt that specifically that would be the thing. Maybe it was a kind of an AA type meeting that w was in mind, or, but. There is, there is, that is definitely an element to it of like, certainly where, abuse, at least. Where least. is the humour of this scene aimed? Yes, and before Time Wave, I was perfectly happy to accept that the aim of that scene was elsewhere. Mm. And now I'm just a little. Now I know, frankly, that Doug Naylor is capable of writing, of kicking down. Yep. Now. I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm not completely uncomfortable. I actually still think it's a funny scene. I'm not... I don't want to overstate it. There, there are worse examples yes. in Red Dwarf. <laughs> but I was a little kind of... It, it, the problem is... We, we'll get on to Time Wave, but the problem with Time Wave, where, how it released this episode, is it makes you stop giving Doug the benefit of the doubt mm. in a way that is actually not helpful <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I think it's a shame. I think it's the episode that a lot of people are looking forward to. Yeah, it's certainly course. the episode that we've been hearing about seemingly it, for years. It's it's on. It's so rare that um, you know the first image released of series twelve was everyone as Crichton. Yeah, and it's the image that's used on the front of the Blu-ray and DVD. It's it's kind of it. It's a rare thing, I, I think. Um, to have a specific episode be used so much in the publicity mm -hmm. rather than it being general, especially in the Dave era where the uh, the thrust of the pre-publicity has always been, hey, look, they're back. Um, because of <laughs> because even within the Dave era, there's these big gaps between series. Yeah. I think because series 11 and 12 obviously followed on straight yeah. away from each other in a normal manner, they didn't have to for the first and probably only time. Um <laughs> didn't have to make a big deal out of the fact that they were back, so they were able to, to focus on one specific thing. Obviously, the danger of doing that is it puts a lot of pressure on that episode. <laughs> and if and if you come away from it not being 100% impressed, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to mark it down more than it perhaps could. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't hate it. <laughs> I think there's... Uh, I kind of want to, <laughs> but I don't. Uh, I, I I like the way it opens. I like um, Crichton's little interaction with Rimmer about I'll let you go about your rimmering. <laughs> I think that's funny. Um, there's some strange continuity going on with Lister's guitar, which he was playing in the previous episode, and then um, it has to be rescued, uh, it, and that's probably as a result of the episode orders being switched round. Um, there's a really weird piece of dialogue where we probably talked about this at the time. Uh, Crichton says it's nearly to the day that we lost Lister's guitar. Now, what what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, nearly to the day. Like, oh, a year, yes. a month. I a, mentioned that a week. there was something missing, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. there? <laughs> There's a unit missing there. <laughs> I would be willing to bet that unit is in the script, and that Robert forgot to yeah. say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, There's. I think Craig's performance is perhaps the the standout 
of the three Crit- new Crichtons. Mm. I think uh, Craig does a really good job of it. He probably perhaps has more to do as the kind of the person that's. He's got the furthest to to travel yeah. in terms of in terms of a progression from human to. Yeah, because he's always been about. He's always been on Crichton's side more than any of the others. There's so many characters in the episode. I think that's part of the problem. And, you know, you know things have gone a bit weird when your main guest star that had been in the pre-publicity interview shows up nine minutes before the end. And doesn't really have much to do. No, he's barely... Yeah, he's he's there to give a bit of exposition about the fact that there are grades. There's a class system on board mm. uh, to show up the hypocrisy of the MILFs. It's Buckley, what is it? What's his name? James, James, James Buckley. Buckley. Um, and he's really good, actually. Yeah. He's he's surprisingly good. I think when it was announced, I mean, I love the in-betweeners, but when it was announced, I was like, really? Mm. And it, actually, it, yeah, I think he's good. I'll tell you what else is weird. Uh, with what James Buckley, the, the, his purpose of being there is setting up that there's these Mark 3s and there's... No, there's Mark 2s <coughs> and there's Mark 3s. When they get the, to the upgrade station, they yeah. all get upgraded to Mark 4s. But they'd established that the difference between Mark 2s and 3s were hardware, not software. Mm-hmm. It's all about the fact that the Mark 3s are X amount lighter and have the chrome finish and all that yeah. stuff. Um, and then, it, then the logic of that changes. When they get upgraded, it's a software upgrade that makes them all the same, whereas previously there'd been different generations Mark, of hardware. Yeah. The mark is not how you denote the evolution of an object. It's, yeah. it's, it's a separate, it's a different variation of that object. It's not a, the same object with new things in it. It's a different design. But it's such an easy fix because you, it, you just say, it was oh, like, it's point three. Yeah, they they run on a different operating system to us. And, and they do say that they like one the uh, yeah. one, like one mark underneath, but they've gone and also it's if it's an upgrade station, why are they all going to the same level when surely they'd be like it's like it's like when you get an Android phone and like an older phone only goes up to a certain yeah <laughs> they only go at one level surely yeah so everyone levels up but. It's a strange one. It's like, yeah, they've conflated Mark and uh, OS to mean the same thing. It struck me as odd. So many weird things towards the end. And actually, the thing that really annoys me is that there's a good um, concept at the heart of the end of the episode, which is um, uh, the um, oppressed becoming the oppressor, Mm. which is a really interesting idea. Um, They can't, they ain't got time to deal with that, though. It's brought up as a, as a, as a thing and it's really really interesting but they haven't got time to do anything with it at all you can't help but feel that um they over complicated the episode mm. that there is a more streamlined uh cheaper <laughs> uh, yes. and and a episode where more of it took place on that main set which is barely used yeah. um <clears throat> where you just strip out i, I couldn't I, I don't even want to say which elements, but you can strip out it's some of the thing, elements is hard. and just make it. I mean, it's not our job uh, to fix it. We we are not comedy writers, yes. and that is very clear to everyone. <laughs> to us. But yeah, but the, it does run into a problem as well with the ambitiousness of it. Um, like it, it must have used up a significant chunk of time and money to make uh, the the three main uh, new mechanoid costumes mm-hmm. for the main cast and they and they look good i think um, yes i think so uh i like the design of them and i, I think it, it's a great job um some of the main guest 
mechanoids as well have a decent job done to them, but a lot of them, uh, there's a lot of them that are wearing sunglasses and, and hats, <laughs> and I think that is to often disguise the nature of, of the, the quality of the, of the mask. Yeah. And some of the ones that are in the background who are just extras are just completely dead <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a bit nightmarish at times um especially in the cleanatorium whatever it's called scenes uh, where there's so many of them mass ranks of mechanoids but they can't afford to to make uh, you know, they don't have the time or money to to make all those mechanoids look as good as Crichton. That that sequence I find I know I'm probably concentrated too much on it. There's so much else in the episode, but I find that sequence to be one of the most baffling in uh Dave Red Dwarf because it's so clearly I think misconceived <laughs> actually yeah. to be honest. It, 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 it it's means... not it's not achieving anything. What what are the stakes really? It's a similar problem with Cured, where you don't really feel like anything's at stake. It's like, it's they're only mopping each other's chest panels. Yes, indeed. <laughs> there's, there's, there's not much. It's not going to do much damage. And like throwing a robot into space isn't going to do anything either. Mm. See, I that's how Blister found him. <laughs> I think, and we're coming back to to some of the discussions we've had before, but again, we talk about lack of jeopardy. I think they needed to go harsher. If you're doing a story about people being oppressed, let's show some of it. Mm. And let's show what happens when you try and fight against it. It ain't pretty what happens. To get this and, monk and you could do some very interesting... And I think the episode needed to go into a darker area, actually, at that point. I think the show can do that. I mean, we've seen what Back to Reality managed... Yeah. I think it needed to go deeper into that and less into poking each other with mops. And uh, also, it means that the way that the thing is resolved, it's not uh, deus ex machina, <laughs> because that is a, a term that gets yeah. overused a lot wrongly. But what it is, is uh, look. Uh, there's nothing that our protagonists yeah. do that resolve the situation. It's the fact that they happen to come across Siliconia at that yeah. particular yeah. point is what resolves the plot and allows them to escape. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing in the clean-off thing that actually resolves anything. No. It's no. it's all plod- it's all plodding along, and then Something else this happens, yeah. and that's what allows them to escape. There's nothing that proactively our heroes do to escape, mm. and uh, and that's a shame. And then the ending is so rushed with the coming back and the, the changing back, and it's the usual... Recent Red Dwarf thing, we'll have to rush through all yeah, this got stuff. No time. It's, a, it's quite an abrupt ending as well because there was a bit that got cut out, which you can see in the deleted scenes of Lister singing Baby Don't Be Ovulating Tonight, <laughs> which is brilliant. The fact that Baby Don't Be Ovulating Tonight is something that was first mentioned in the in mm. Infinity and yeah. is now <laughs> comes made nice, flesh. It's a nice little nod to the books that we don't tend to get very often. And there's another positive thing I wanted to mention uh, that both. <laughs> Me and Danny had this reaction uh, when we were watching it last night. There was a line that just must have completely passed me by on all other <laughs> and all other viewings of it. And I wrote the review for this one, so I must have rewatched it a couple of times <laughs> in that week. Um, uh, is in the middle of Rimmer's speech, uh, his big speech about how he wants to be a mechanoid. He says, 
I remember as a child looking at my fish tank and, and being jealous. And Kat says, you wanted to be a fish tank? <laughs> and that really, really tickled me when I watched it last night. And it distracted me for the rest of, for the next couple of minutes of just chuckling away at that. That's a good line. And, uh, and I think if it comes to a point when you're on a discussion this broad that you're picking out specific lines that you like as a way of defending it, then, yeah, maybe I don't like it as much. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, if I'm going to... Sometimes my favourite episodes of Red Dwarf, I think back and all I think about are moments and, and lines. It's yeah, the same with Cure. It's like it's, it's like there are points in that episode I really enjoy as a whole. I don't love it, but mm. there are parts that I really like. You know, it's it's the same, and it's the same through most of Twelve. To be fair, there's a lot of bits that I really really like, and some are much stronger than some of the episodes. Like there's, I think it's come up like a lot longer since towards the end. Spoilers, it's not on this one. Um, uh, yeah, it's genuinely one of the funniest jokes I think Red Dwarf's ever done for me. And <laughs> yeah, so um, so there's, there's moments in this series that are really good, but as overall arcing episodes. I think some of the strongest moments in Siliconia are not necessarily the comedy moments. I think there's... Uh, I think for a long time before we get to the shit bits at the end, um, it's an interesting plot. And it's um, the the possibilities uh, and the character development that it brings with it. I find interesting rather than funny. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. And I and I do like that. Yeah. About it, but I want the laughs as well, which this doesn't. I, I'm, I, I'm a similar thing with say the crisis is a similar thing where the, the idea is more interesting, and that's the bit that I gravitate towards rather than the comedy aspect. It's actually the idea and the and the the pathos in, mm. in the episode that I, that I gravitate towards. Well, you see, I wonder whether, pure speculation, this is where the MILF thing came from. Because it's a recurring thing. And it's like, were, were they... Was Doug trying to <laughs> inject some humour? Well, you, can, I you still can tell don't... that it's been added in at some point in the process. Yeah. Um, because there are posters in the background that say Mechanoid Liberation Front yeah. without the intergalactic or whatever it is that yeah. the ice And that was made up on the day. It was Craig that came up with it, wasn't it? Yes, it's covered in the documentary, isn't it? Craig came up with it and they thought it was a really funny joke, but it's just the fact And then they, they added in you... 20 of them. Well, that's the thing. If it had just been added in and not explained, you don't even need the first MILF. I, yeah. It would have been funny. I think if they'd have just given the name of the organisation and then left you to fill in the blanks of what yeah. the acronym is rather than spelling it, and certainly uh, don't include the bit where they're chanting MILF, MILF, yeah, MILF yeah, 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 in yeah. the same manner as uh, the Shermanator in American Pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah, just a joke that fell flat the first time you hear it. And it in fact, it fell flat before it aired. <laughs> yeah, because I would say that's true. It, Craig mentioned, you do off. Craig mentioned it in an interview in like February yeah. or something before it aired, and we were like, "Oh, is that's like, where we're going?" Is yeah, it? That was funny. That was funny. Probably on the second you came up with it. Yeah. In the set, and then that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's when yeah. that's when it stopped being funny. And you could totally tell that it, whether that necessarily translates, because there's always this assumption with Red Dwarf in particular, because so meant so much of it. In the past and throughout the Dave era as well, in places, is very well thought through and polished and honed. And there's an assumption that everything that makes it into the script is something that 
there's an assumption that everything in the script is part of the overall vision yeah. and that there's a reason for it to be there. So when you have those little throwaway things like that, they become, they have more gravity put on them than they necessarily deserve. Yes. And I so agree. it feels like, you know, they're really proud of this milk joke. Uh, whereas we it's, know in reality it's something that was come up with on the fly and they thought, oh, let's keep that in. But it, it doesn't come across that way. It sounds like Craig Charles stand-up. <laughs> yeah, that's never good. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel bad, Mr Laconia, because I think I think actually there's a... I, I think it's an ambitious episode. And I don't want to criticise an ambitious episode. Ambition's good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, that's good, but it all falls flat for me on this rewatch I was really d- disappointed I mean in terms of like when you first hit, when we first heard about the idea of everyone is Crichton it was my brain just went what on earth are you going to do with that like how are you going to do it and how is that going to be how can you make that interesting and I think they actually did do something quite interesting with it like c- considering how long that idea has been sat in yeah. Doug's you know mm. backlog um, it's it's one of those episodes that people have been kind of since they've heard about it of thinking actually I'd quite like to see that but there's always been that thing of going I don't know what the hell you can do with it so I've been quite surprised by what we got it's not brilliant but it's not it's not it's not absolutely awful mm. I just think it's, it's it's in between it's somewhere in the middle I think that's actually one of the most frustrating things that, <coughs> that it feels like the difficult bit was done which is answering that question I I think he answered the question quite successfully mm. On paper, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I just think the the um, yeah, the synopsis of the answer to the question is very good, and the actual implementation of it in the script and on screen is bad. Okay. Is what I would say, and it is seriously one of the most confusing endings to a Red Dwarf episode that I've ever seen, and it's not even confusing in an interesting way. <laughs> I, th- I think Kyod is more uh, for me. Kyod was a more confusing way of explaining everything in the last five minutes than Siliconia managed. I managed to understand Siliconia much easier. I do seem to have had a particular block with the ending of Siliconia because I remember at the time when I was talking about how confused I was, and there were people on kind of even Titan saying it's really obvious what's your problem. Mm. So I do think there is a problem with the storytelling, but I think. The extent of my confusion, it may be partly me, <laughs> shall we say. But well, that doesn't mean to say I think it was good storytelling. You can, you may, you can perhaps blame the, the fact that the clean-off and all that is so dull that you're not really paying attention <laughs> by the time it's yeah. going to... I mean, it's quite, it's quite an <coughs> underwhelming ending. That you just yeah. there. Is it? It's There's hardly any whelm. There's <laughs> not. <laughs> a lack of whelm. So, speaking of lack of well, on the <laughs> let, let's move on from this uh, this negative uh, chat about this the conclusion to this episode. So let's yeah. move on. To, what, what's next on the list? Oh, oh. Can I can, can I just oh can I just point something out here? Oh, I did dear. I did suggest that what we should do with this is say the third episode with Mcor. <laughs> and just not reference that we'd swapped the episode order around at all and then make time wave fifth and uh, that would have been my hilarious do you, joke. Do you seriously think that either I or Danny's uh, anal brain would be able to cope with that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what we're like. Uh, uh, no, time wave 
So, uh, we don't need to state our overall opinions on no, Tony. No, 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 no. That's not ever going to change. No. I, I approached it on this occasion by trying to <laughs> trying to view it. Uh, I, I don't know. Trying to sort of empathise and, and give the benefit of the doubt. A redemptive reading is the phrase is you're it? looking for. A redempt redemptive is a word, isn't it? Sort redemptive. Of. Redemptive. Yeah. Redemptive. Yeah, redemptive. That redemptive. Sounds redemptive reading. That's what I did. Yes. Uh I was trying to picture how it is on a script level without the costume design. Uh without the um without the performance <laughs> in particular of Ziggy. Okay. Um and to kind of give it the benefit of the doubt. And in, in fairness to Time Wave, there are the first... The bits before they get to the ship, <laughs> there's some good stuff in there. Um, but I am cl- already clutching at straws to say to find anything positive. There's some funny bits of dialogue uh, between the crew before they get there. I like the fact that it, it seeds... Um, something that later pays off in Skipper. Yeah, that really stood out to me this time round. This time round, oh, yeah. having obviously yes. seen Skipper, um, it's specifically that Rimmer mentions if I can ever get back to the 23rd century, this stuff's going to be worth a fortune <laughs> yeah. in yeah. reference to the Helium 7 that they find on planet Rimmer. Yeah. And that in Skipper, uh, which we'll get to next week, uh, the or month, or depending on how quickly I manage to edit it, um, <laughs> in Skipper, uh, one of the resolutions is it's the 23rd century and Rimmer and Lister is rich because he had all this helium 7. Yeah. Uh, that's a nice bit of foreshadowing which unfortunately doesn't actually improve the quality of time wave just makes you think <laughs> oh yeah that's clever in Skipper. Yeah. Um, it's obviously as soon as they get on the Inconi it's just really hard to get past the uh, homophobia homophobia uh, yeah, <laughs> I have something positive to say that is genuinely a positive thing, and it's not that I like the homophobia. <laughs> um, what I would say about Time Wave, and I tried to say this, I think on the when we discussed it in the instant reaction, and I I will hopefully do a better job of it this time. There is one thing to admire about Time Wave, and that is that Doug Naylor is trying to say something. Mm. And it is an episode that is in its own way, apart from a few bits here and there, is quite focused in trying to say something. Now, let's just go back to something like, say, Pete Part (laughs) 2. I don't know what Pete Part 2 is trying to say or trying to do. I I cannot put that in words. Birds came from dinosaurs. (laughs) That's literally it. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. But with Time Wave, Doug has a vision I really do think mm. and something he wants to get across and that is laudable Yeah. unfortunately what he wants to get across is awful <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we run into problems well, but but if just to keep the positive thing going for a minute I do admire a sitcom episode that is actually in its own way is quite ambitious and is, is quite thoughtful not like that, please. No, I think I think the intent is honourable. The execution falls flat on its face. Yeah, this is there's two kind of points to make from that. 
One is if if you cut if you do manage to look past the portrayal of Ziggy and the uh, the manner in which he and much of the rest of the crew are dressed, try and ignore that stuff that's been added that's not in the script. <coughs> there then there is a different story going on, which get gets completely drowned out by the decisions that were made at, at various points in the production process. Yeah. The concept of the Inconium and the fact that they've got all these people on there that are doing the wrong jobs and they can't um, shift the en- they can't fix the engines because they've got hairdressers working on it and blah blah blah. That's that's a different concept to the way that the rest of Time Wave goes. It's not necessarily a brilliant one, yeah. but it is it is different. It's a bit uh, Golga Frinch and Biark mm-hmm. at times from uh, Hitchhikers, uh, where they have to rebuild society using only the worst, pe- <laughs> like the most useless people from their society to rebuild it. There's something that's going on there, um, but it, it gets completely drowned out by the decisions that are made and it ends up not being about that at all so what it is about this is the the second point so the point that doug is trying to make about criticism and the nature of it and what it does to people is he talking about us (laughs) (laughs) there is a bit and i thought i worried in advance that this is where it was going to go of of him basically saying the people that criticize me are dicks which we are um there is a definitely in the bit in Starbug beforehand where they're talking about how where what criticism does to people it releases dopamine and people get addicted to it <laughs> and it gives them an inflated sense of self worth and self importance. Is he talking about us? <laughs> <laughs> because some people try and um, paint Time Wave as a satire. <coughs> Uh, I think this is a very generous uh, way of looking at things, but some people say that Doug has deliberately, as a satire, made a shit episode of Red Dwarf that's about criticism. <laughs> I don't think that was the intention. No, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I think the thing that gets me, because I, I totally understand that it's a slightly different story on the page, but there is still stuff on the page where Doug is saying... If um, people are allowed to do anything without criticism, not only will they make wrong choices, well, we can deal with that. Mm. The thing that is unfortunately on the page, which is impossible to get past for me, is effectively what the script is saying, is that it is wrong for people to express themselves how they want to. And that is not just in the uh, costumes, although that, that is part of it. But that's literally in the dialogue, and mm. it feels extraordinarily weird for me. It's to have this episode of comedy, which is one of the most conservative episodes of comedy I've ever seen. That's true, actually. Yeah, it it's it is really is genuinely saying, um, you should not do what you want to do. Yeah. Now you shouldn't dress how you want. Yes, you shouldn't. You shouldn't express yourself how you want to express yourself. Now there is a nuanced argument to be had about all of that. The episode is not known for its nuance, Hmm. and that is literally what it's saying. It's saying, it is saying, do not express yourself how you want to express yourself. You should conform to norms in society. I've got a fucking massive problem with that. Especially considering, like the Red Dwarf community is, is pretty, 
diverse yeah. in, in terms like come to DJ and you see people all kinds of people from all different kinds of backgrounds the, some people express themselves through cosplay yeah uh, some people express you know there are there are people that are attracted to Red Dwarf because this is a, a discussion we've had before um, there are people that are attracted to sci-fi in general because they don't fit in with society mm-hmm. um, and Red Dwarf in particular has always the fandom has always embraced those people and celebrated yeah. those people yeah. and so to to hear the show itself saying no actually <laughs> you shouldn't do that it's very disappointing um, there's also a fair amount of anger from the crew the Red Dwarf crew I, um, that doesn't that is really weirdly placed and um, yeah we were saying it's like okay well surely Rimmer's got a reason to be annoyed in the diner because he's had coffee poured in his bollocks of yes. course he's going to be annoyed <laughs> fair yeah <laughs> it's a fair response to what he's got um, why is Lister getting involved it was such a weird thing Lister is really angry and let's just get this straight he's really angry because he's been given food he didn't order that is it is so no, why is he the food upset that he, the food that he didn't order is terrible that's yeah. what that's what he says he yeah. said this food is rank but why should he care he's not he didn't order, yeah. it's order not it. his food yeah there, so it's just it's just really contrived so there's really weird things that go on there because you could easily rewrite that scene so um because the other problem with that scene is that everyone up to that point is saying uh, been saying between each other, don't criticise anyone, don't criticise anyone, we know what we need to do, don't criticise anyone. And suddenly, Lister, out the blue, mm. criticises. Mm. And it's like, no, he's not that stupid. Cat's that stupid, which we find out in the next scene, and we'll get on to that. Yes. Crichton's not that stupid. Rimmer, if he's had his love spuds broiled, is that stupid. So why isn't it Rimmer going off on one, and Lister going, no, 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 no. Yeah. And then... Once, you know, they call security, you, you get a line from Lister. You don't get the line from Lister that says, oh, let's go. You get the line from Lister saying, quick, Scarpa, Rimmer, you idiot. Yeah. Everything about it's wrong, yeah. but it didn't need to be to make the story work. Yeah. See, the, 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 the one interesting bit about the entire episode is the uh, the Rimmer's resentment and the, the, critic, the inner critic. That's that's one of the, one of the interesting bits, because it's quite a... I mean, like, the, the makeup's quite severe for the, yeah. for, the, for the idea of this kind of like floaty episode and then all of a sudden there's this really dark bit in the middle. And I think in isolation, I, I think I like that, that bit. I, I do like that I don't bit. like the overall scene, No, but I like that bit of the scene of um, Rimmer defeating his inner critic uh, to some extent and yeah. using his logic against him. I think that's quite good. Yeah. But the problem, <laughs> a problem, in the build-up to that is that you've got this ridiculous that just completely takes me out of the scene and completely breaks my concentration is that in the build-up to this quite clever bit of psychological humor about rimmer's inner critic you've got a ridiculous pun that doesn't work oh yeah about clitoris sounding like spit on her wrist now i <laughs> where fi- the I, fuck I, does that come I, from why is ha- it even there i have fixed that joke you'll be delighted to hear um the joke shouldn't be spit on a wrist. It should be, and I thought he told me to spit on a tit. 
Look, look, I'm not. It doesn't sound like clitoris. No, it doesn't. (laughs) But there is a link with sex (laughs) if it's spit on her tits. And I quite like the image of Rimmer just going. No. Whereas no. spitting on her wrist <laughs> is is an is not even no, linked to anything. No, it's not working for you, no, Dad. It doesn't. Work. <laughs> no, that's worse. Right, it may be worse, <laughs> but the, worse. it may be worse, but the joke works no, because it all no. links in. No, it does. But it doesn't. It just because it spit on her tits is I'd a. I'd rather se- remove it. Spit on her tits. <laughs> Spit on her tits is a sexual act. Spit on her wrist isn't. Therefore, oh, there's a link oh, oh, oh. and it's a joke. <laughs> there might be people with wrist fetishes. And you're saying that they can't express themselves. Yes, I am. No, I am exactly you saying your wrist I am kink-shaming. That's what you're doing. Whereas spitting on tits is apparently is apparently normal, according to you. But again, again, but the thing is, interestingly, you've put you've 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 stumbled on a language problem that I have in that episode because. Because I there's something that takes me completely out of it is the when Cat goes way too far. Yes, with it's the with... crit cop, and yeah. it feels and it's not even out of character for the cat. It's out of character for Red Dwarf. Mm. Yes, that's the problem I've got. Is it doesn't feel that doesn't that is not something Red Dwarf is about it, it, in terms of language and the way it works. I don't care. It's meant to be severe enough to get him in prison. Tutting gets you into prison, yeah. so you don't need to go as far as you did. You called him an asshole. That was funny enough. That would have been fine. So it's a it's a thing that you can't give the benefit of the doubt to because no. it's in the script and it's the dialogue as written. Is it in the yeah. is it in the script or was it was that was that one something that was was that something that was organic? I mean, who knows? Who, well, who knows? But either way, it's it's you can't blame it on production decisions no, in the same way that you can almost give the benefit of the doubt to the no. rest of it, but. The, yeah, the really, the really awful thing about that is, as you point out, it's so unnecessary because there's two parts of that line. Yeah. Hey, Captain Asshole, that's funny. It's and really you get funny. The right like for that, each, it's just, each as shocking like, as it should be. Upon first broadcast and watching it again, I laughed at Hey, yeah. Lieutenant Asshole. I forgot about it. What's that's the previous line? Like, that gets an even bigger laugh. Is it? it how stupid is this guy? Right. That gets one of the biggest laughs in David Red Dwarf. Full <laughs> yeah. stop. You've already got the joke. Yeah. So even and if the, you got to that point in the edit, all you need is that bit. Chop out the dodgy line and off you go. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. So it's there's at least two good jokes, but they have to add a third, and it is. Langu- undercuts the. It's it's I it's. I don't really even want to say it. Fucking, um, no, it's it's I was just. I yeah, I was just having that debate in my yeah, head. Of, like, exactly. Do I say it? And I was like, no, I don't want to I re- say that. I re- we had to originally because we had to say what it was. Yeah. We don't like, but it's so horrible that I don't even it want has to use. Absolutely no place in Red Dwarf, and I'm I'm one of those people that is loath. To say these days, I'm loath to say this isn't this is or isn't Red Dwarf because Red Dwarf has been so many things. But I think something of this nature is such a guttural reaction, <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I don't want a character that I love to be using that language in my favourite show in 2017. Like it would be awful if it was in the 80s. <laughs> <And now> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. It's Lazy. completely illicit. It's misogynistic, and there is no excuse for it whatsoever. That line is misogynistic. Yeah. yeah, I just it's just yeah. way out of style. It's out of it's out of character. And it's it, out of it's just yeah, it's just it, it it grinds on me on all sorts of levels. And it's not even needed. And it's not even and needed. it's not and funny. not only is it not even needed, but you could have 
got rid of it in the edit. Like, you could literally do a fan edit where all you do is remove that line. You wouldn't even have any discontinuity between shots. It is easily removable with one snip, so to speak. (laughs) Uh, When circumcisions go wrong. (laughs) For for me, that was one of my favourite lines in the episode. (laughs) Actually, if we could move on. I really like Johnny Vegas yeah, in the episode. I think he's the bright spot. I think there's a, it quite straight. There's a point. Well, well, all right. Yeah. Straight. Yes. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah. He plays it straight at first. There is a bit when he starts criticizing it and starts rubbing his nipples. I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's perhaps a little broad, but I do agree. Yeah. Broadly, largely speaking, uh, I think Johnny Vegas is good, and especially um, the 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 initial bit. Yeah. I think it's just like it, it went on too long. Uh, but the initial bit of have you been doing any criticizing? How about castigating? Yeah. Have you been scathing at all? Any chiding? It's the castigating yeah. is very good. It sounds legalistic. It's, it's very it's, very it's good. It's a word. thing that Red Dwarf has done well many times it's the kind of the um the thesaurus humor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I'm always a sucker for in anything of just yeah that um, that structure to yeah. to a scene. Um, uh, I find that really good. good. Kind of yeah, exactly that, which we'll come to in the, in the next part. Um, and yeah, and obviously Johnny Vegas is a great performer. Um, Joe Sim is very good in it as well. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. See, yeah, yeah. see if the show bits. had gone down there that route, yeah. there, there is a... I do... <laughs> I mean, there's there's two things here. Is there a interesting episode to be made about criticism and being pro for criticism and against criticism yes there is whether now and even 2017 is the right time to make that episode Mm. is arguably a different point and we are in a situation right now where you have to be extraordinarily careful about saying that (laughs) people should be allowed to say anything for instance yeah but I do think that there is a interesting episode to be made out. And stuff like the tut- tutting, all stuff Johnny Vegas, I think that's <coughs> a good show here, struggling to get out. Mm. But, yeah. oh, it's it's just obscured by, well... Bad decisions. By bad decisions, by homophobia. I think, I think, I think to be honest, blatant homophobia as here's, well. Here's a question. If it wasn't for the costumes and the portrayal if there wasn't the stereotypical campness etc and the and the cross-dressing and stuff like that mm-hmm. would we have drawn the same conclusion that doug is saying you can't express yourself how you want to how I... much of that is in this like it obviously is in the script d- but how much of that have we added to it because it's, of those decisions i think it's problematic because it it's a half thought out script mm. i don't think that it comes to a, 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 a real conclusion. It just... You, you, yeah, so Rimmer's inner critic comes kind of... It, that, that At the end of the episode is dominated by the inner critic stuff, which is a different thing. It really. is, yes. It's about self-doubt. And That's about, about self-doubt. Yeah. It's not about criticism, yeah. per se. And it, so I think the point gets entirely confused... Oh, yeah, and yeah. by the end, you're sort of thinking, well, I don't know what we've learned today. Well, the thing is, <laughs> well, I don't like it. it flip- Whatever it is. It flip-flops so much because it's uh, the inner critic comes out, 
Rimmer defeats him with criticism of the critic, which means it kills him. And he goes, "Oh, maybe our philosophy's flawed." And then so he <laughs> yeah. repeats, yeah, oh, yeah, straight away, the figure's flawed. That's it's fucking like, convenient. Isn't it? line. <laughs> but yeah, it, but basically he then repeals the law, and then the end of the episode is him not liking criticism again. And yeah. it just it, there's no lesson learned again. Yeah. It's the whole. And the ending just and the, the episode just ends. Well, you see, it's just shit. I'm going to defend. <laughs> I'm going Sorry. to defend that slightly. Really? Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> Good luck. No. Uh, it's no. It's very very easy to defend. Um, the joke there is that he hasn't learnt anything. That's um, the joke. That but the sitcoms do that all the time. Where you have a lesson that everyone learns at the end, and then the last thirty seconds is undercutting it for Although, the joke. For, that's sure. a standard sitcom yeah, trope. But surely, yeah, but that's mostly not twenty to seconds do... after just. No, <laughs> no, no! I think that's the joke. No, I no, think. But what I'm saying is that normally, um, you have a, a, it's a cast member, a permanent cast member, who doesn't learn because that's the thing they never mm. learn. It's. Um, yes, that's fair they, they, There's not someone that you've just um, introduced for the purpose of that episode. Yeah, yeah no, that's fair enough. I think yeah, that's fair enough. So it, it, you end up, you understand if you've got a relationship with that character, like you know, cat. Cat never learns. Fine, because we've had the relationship yeah. with the character, and we accept that, and that's fine. That's just another example. Yeah. Um, but when it's that this guy who. You know, isn't very well defined as he is. There's a good He's... example of that in a later episode as well. See, See I, I forgive it a little more. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but I forgive it a little more because I don't see that final scene as the meat of the episode. I see it as a silly little tag that either you think's funny or you don't think's funny. But I don't think it really has that much bearing on the episode per se. It's just a silly kind of. Well, I think you're being thing. entirely over generous. That's your call. But my problem, because I wouldn't have that. See, my problem is, I think if you didn't have all the uh, costumes, you didn't have the. I said blatant homophobia before. I don't know if I meant blatant or latent. I think I mean both. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, um, if you didn't have all that, I actually think we would have arrived at the same uncomfortableness uh, with not knowing what the episode's trying to say in terms of conformity. (laughs) Mm. But. I think we would have reacted to it less viscerally. <laughs> yeah, I think if it had been a general point about uh, expressing oneself, then we could we would have forgiven it a bit more. Yeah. But the fact that it was manifested through what it was manifested through, it muddied the waters of what they were trying to say, and it's it's not pleasant. It's completely unpleasant. The yeah. insinuation. Of what time time wave is trying to say, uh, is bad, and I don't want it to be in Red Dwarf, and I don't want just that in my life at all. <laughs> I don't want I don't want that in my life. Uh, this has all got very serious, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> shall we? Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh... Shall, shall we fuck <laughs> off and, and, and come back again at a future date? Yeah, it's not. Uh, so that that was uh, bite one of our series twelve retrospective. Uh, we will return with more uh, next time, uh, where we'll be covering three better episodes than the ones that we just <laughs> talked about. Uh, and yeah, you, you're through the worst of it, people, don't worry. Um, but yes, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media. 
Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. And we'll be back again next time to talk to you about the rest of uh, Series 12. But until then... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Today is a day for both sadness and joy. Sadness because you've just listened to Ganymede and Titan's dwarf cast. And joy because it's now finished. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Goodbye.